the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. We have no motive. We just want you to fall more in love with Jesus. We want you to know how much He loves you, and the best way to do that is to have your questions answered, and I'll do the very best that I can in answering those questions. Our phone numbers for your live calls, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free if you're out of the local area by calling 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also send your questions in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And again, I remind you today that if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the KSLR free mobile app. Just hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Again, 340-9585. Don't have a lot to talk about today because it's Tuesday and nothing going on. Um, been a neat day here at school and some good stuff on the horizon. I'm sure that's the case with you as well. Let me get right to our questions that have been sent in. Uh, our first question comes from Lewis. And this question came in on our mobile app. Um, Pastor Ron, if God didn't create the sun, the moon, and other stars and heavenly bodies until day four of creation, what was the light and the separation of day and night that takes place on day one? Um, the best way to answer that, Lewis, is it, we, we get this question, well, if the, the uh, sun, the moon, and the stars weren't until later, uh, what was the source of light? When we get to day four in Genesis 1, the sun, the moon, the stars, are literally that light is a different word in Hebrew. It's light reflectors. And so the, the light that they reflect is the light that appears early in Genesis, right at the beginning. And you say, well, what was that light? Well, that light was Jesus. Listen to this. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. John eight twelve. when Jesus spoke again to the people... He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, people, when I say that to them, sometimes, well, no, I mean, what was the light like? Well, Jesus was the light. Remember, in heaven, there'll be no day or night, no darkness. Why? Because Jesus is the light of heaven. And so the light was the light that came from God. Let there be light, and there was. Well, that was the light of Christ. And uh, any other light simply reflected that light. When God made everything, he made it in such a way that um, 
the heavens would declare the glory of God. Day after day they pour forth speech. There's no nation or language where they're not understood. So, Lewis, it's not a light like you turn on the switch and there's light. Jesus was that light. And then he brought order to the light. And by the way, it's not until after he brought order to the light that he said it's very good. And he saw that it was good before it was no comment. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from our mobile app again. This is from Rich. He says, is it ever appropriate, appropriate, excuse me, for a pastor to mention the names of false teachers? Uh, I like that question, Rich, because it sort of demonstrates um, how are we best able to communicate the message? Uh, early in my ministry, uh, you know, Paul mentions names uh, of false teachers. He, he condemns them, in fact, publicly, warns others against them. Uh, and, and in my ministry, I think this is probably the temptation of, of every Bible teacher. There's so much false teaching out there, and we see so much damage. It gets frustrating. We want to say to people, why can you, how can you listen to this man, or how can you listen to this woman? It's dangerous, and, and, and you know, it's frustrating because uh, false teachers have big churches. Why? Because they're telling people what they want to hear. Telling them that God wants them to be rich. Telling them that God wants life to be easy. Wanting them to be healthy. Uh, God doesn't expect anything from them. False teaching churches are the most crowded churches in our country. And you can watch it over and over and over. It doesn't matter what state that you are in. Uh, And I, at one time, um, was, again, never never as a target, but but in the context of teaching through the Bible on on passages about false teachers, uh, or even false doctrines, I would name the people who who uh, taught those false doctrines. And here's what I found. I found that immature Christians, and it's always an immature Christian who listens to the false teachers, they would be so offended that they wouldn't hear anything else that I said. And so instead of naming the name of the person, for instance, this guy teaches this, I would just talk about the teaching itself and how false it was. And I noticed that people who were listening to those false teachers were listening also now to me and they could recognize the doctrine and for many over the years rich it sent them into their bibles to kind of check for themselves so i found that really i don't need to mention them by names i'm not averse to doing it on this radio program i get very direct questions uh from time to time about specific people and since i promise not to duck any questions at least as best i'm able um uh, i've talked about people who are false teachers And by that, I am not impugning their salvation. That's between them and God. What I'm simply saying is that the doctrine that's coming from their pulpits is false and and damaging, dangerous even. Uh, And so most of the time, especially if it's just at church or I'm in the course of teaching, uh, we'll talk about the doctrine, why it's false. um, But at the same time, um, people listen a lot longer if I don't make them angry right away, you know, they, why would he talk about this servant of God kind of thing? Uh, when really the person's not a servant of God at all. It's just somebody who, who is, um, out for their own game. Paul, when he was in prison, he said some were trying to use the, the fact that he was in prison to their advantage. And then he said this, he said, but what do I care? As long as the gospel is being preached, whether from false motives or true, I rejoice. I've never been quite that spiritual, Rich, so it still breaks my heart. Let me say one other thing about this, and then I'll move on to another question. For a pastor, a Bible teacher, when we see the damage, the the complete wreckage of people's lives because of false doctrine, I wonder sometimes how those men and women can sleep at night, how they can look themselves in the mirror. It's clear they have no fear of God, and yet that's what we see on so-called Christian television. That's what we see in these huge churches. It's what we hear often on Christian radio. It's amazing to me, sometimes right during this program, we'll have a, a, a commercial at the break or just prior to coming into this program. 
uh, from somebody who's a false teacher. Same radio station. That's why we have to know the Bible. That's why this program, I think, matters so much. People need to be equipped. Peter says that deepest, darkest blackness is reserved for false teachers. Paul says of the false teachers of his day that he wished they would go all the way and emasculate themselves, mutilate their bodies. Why? Because as a pastor, a Bible teacher, and certainly Paul was, and certainly Peter was, you see the damage done by these wolves. And it takes people years, sometimes they never recover. And that's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to our Lord, and that means it's got to be heartbreaking to us. So, Rich, I hope that answers your question. Thank you very much for asking. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question uh, from David. David says, please explain why you don't believe in limited atonement. I think you're wrong. Well, David, it's okay. You're probably still saved if you think I'm wrong. But let me ask you a question. And I don't mean this in with any arrogance at all. How long have you made studying the Bible your life's work? Is it not true that you're just listening to other people's interpretation? And now you're starting to view scriptures through their perspective, through their systematic theology. You see, you can't get limited atonement just reading the Bible. You simply can't get limited atonement. Now, if there's anyone listening who doesn't know what limited atonement is, it's one of the doctrines of Calvinism that says Jesus didn't die for the sins of the whole world, but he only died for the sins of the elect or the chosen or the predestined. They combine that with irresistible grace and say, well, if God wanted people saved, they'd be saved because nobody can resist God's grace. Well, if that were true, Paul wouldn't tell us not to quench the Spirit. Peter wouldn't say that God is patient, unwilling that any should perish. And limited atonement is, from my perspective, the most insidious of the five points of Calvinism. So why don't I believe in it, David? Because the Bible doesn't teach it at all. Listen closely. For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes would have eternal life. The world and whosoever. There's no limitation at all in that. And either Jesus died for the world or he didn't. And for you to come up with limited atonement, you've got to change the world limited, or, or the world, I'm sorry, the word world uh, to the world, the, the word elect. And you just can't do that without changing not only what the Bible says, but the intent of the passage of Scripture that you're exegeting. So, David, you might think I'm wrong. You're certainly entitled to think that. But you better be on solid ground before you tell somebody that God may not love them. You better be on solid ground before you tell somebody, well, I don't know if you're saved because you may not be elect. Limited tone is a pernicious doctrine. And I would caution you carefully, it is a fruit destroyer and a joy killer in the life of those who believe it. 340-9585, let's go to Lisa calling from New Brumfels. Lisa, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Lisa. So I'm in the car driving home from school, and uh, Jesse said, I have a question for Pastor Ron. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll call. She told me the question she wants me to ask you. So she wants to know how come God put the tree in the garden that he didn't want Adam and Eve to eat from? If he didn't want them to eat them, if he didn't want them to eat from the tree, why did he put it in the garden in the first place? Make sense? <laughs> It sure does, and Jesse, she always asks such great questions. Uh, Jesse, so let me, thank, let me, I'm going to hang up so we can turn the radio it. on. She's okay, got to listen to the you. whole thing. Okay. okay. Jesse, it's a that's a great question. Now let me ask you a question. If now, Jesse, just so you know, I'm projecting this like 30 years in the future. 
if some man comes to you and says, I love you, you have to love me, you have no choice, what would your response to that be? You'd probably go, yuck. That's not love. Love is allowing choice, allowing freedom. Well, in the garden, God planted a tree of choice. That's what that tree of the knowledge of good and evil was all about. You see, Jesse, up until that point, Adam and Eve knew only good. And God gave him a choice. Now, it's not like he, he put a tree in there and it was their only source of food because he said, every other tree is yours. Every other plant is yours. And in a perfect garden, walking in the cool of that garden every day with the Lord, they would have enjoyed the best of everything. But they had to have a choice. God certainly could compel us to serve him and to love him. But instead, he wants us to choose to love him. And so he gives us a choice. And as you know the story, Jesse, she ate. There was a serpent there who spoke to her. Did God really say, trying to cast doubt? No, surely you won't die. And at that moment, Eve first and Adam later had to make a choice. And the choice is, do I believe God? Do I believe that he loves me, that he wants only the best for me? And when he said not to eat from this tree, it was the best thing for me? Or do I trust myself in this talking snake? And you know the choice that was made. It was the wrong one. So God had to give them the freedom to make a choice. God never compels our love, Jesse. He gives us the freedom to choose. And, and when we choose him, especially when we choose him over the things that we want to do, for ourselves or on our own, things that maybe we know aren't the best for us or aren't good for us. When we say, okay, I'm tempted, but I'm not going to do it because I choose Jesus. Can you imagine, Jesse, how much that pleases God? I think Jesus looks at the Father and gives him a thumbs up. Oh, she chose me. Well, Adam and Eve made the wrong choice, and the world has been plunged into sin ever since. One final thing about this, Jesse. That same tree, in a metaphoric sense, a figurative sense, is in your life every day. It's in all of our lives every day. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And yet we know that there's a temptation, this pull of the world, the pull of our flesh, the things that that cause us to stumble or could cause us to stumble. There are things that we like to do. And every day we have that same choice. Today, do I love me more or do I love Jesus more? And typically, Jesse, if we choose to serve what we want, if we love me more, well, then we break the heart of God. Then we can say, I'm sorry. And the next day we can say, Jesus, I'm going to choose you today. And we're the source of great joy in heaven. So I hope that answers your question. It's all about choice. It's all about choice. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Crystal from Lavernia on line one. Crystal, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um, The question you were just answering made me think of a question I had last night. Um, I have a four-year-old, and um, we have been trying to explain to him the Trinity, you know, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. Do you have any advice for parents um, trying to explain that to a four-year-old? Well, it's a hard one. I hope your four-year-old is a smart one. (laughs) Those are hard ones, Crystal. But, yeah, I I think I can help a little bit. I think what we have to understand is that the Bible says we have one God. And that one God consists of three persons. Um, It's like three different personalities, but but all of them are real persons. And and one, and and the best way for me to to help someone understand is that they have different roles. Uh, Jesus is fully God. The Father is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. But they all have different roles. Jesus' role was to come and be a human, walk this earth, in order to show us who the Father was. 
So when we see Jesus, we see the Father. The Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus to reveal who Jesus is. So Jesus testified of the Father. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. While Jesus and the Father are away from this world in physicality, the Holy Spirit is here in the life of a believer. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in complete unity. It's not one plus one plus one is three. It's one times one times one is one. And we all then have fullness in each of the members of the Trinity. So uh, I think that's the simplest way to explain it. it. It's always easily understood or more easily understood in terms of the roles that each of the persons of the Godhead come. You know, uh, when it, when you circle it all around, it's, it's all about Jesus, uh, Crystal. When, when um, uh, the Father says from heaven, this is my son, this is my son, listen to him, uh, he he points right back to Jesus, um, so uh, it's really all about Jesus. And, and and your son, when he's praying, when he's talking, he should be talking to Jesus because Jesus is the means by which we know the Father. And when the Spirit of God is working in our hearts, then the Spirit of God is pointing to Jesus. Crystal, that's the best I can do. I hope it helps a little bit. That certainly does. Thank you so much. Thank you, Crystal. Let's go to Richard on line two. Richard, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How's it going? Good, Richard. Uh, I just wanted to make a comment about the uh, the other question about the uh, Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had a comment on that, and I kind of want to know what you thought about it, because this is actually something that uh, I've been reading about. I was looking at uh, Genesis a couple nights ago, I've been praying on it, meditating on it recently, and what I think uh, about why there was a, a, a tree forbidden in the, is because God knew the whole time that we, you know, that that was going to happen. That was just God knows everything. That was going to happen. And what we have today as believers is something that Adam and Eve didn't have that they never knew, and that's a life without God. And so they never knew what that was like without God. They never understood what that was like, and they wouldn't know. That's why they're easily tempted, because now if you look at our whole history, everything mankind has been through since that, when, whenever Revelations comes and whenever we're in that new Jerusalem, we're going to be millions, maybe billions of people who know what it was like to be separated from God at one point and then to have had him and then our lives be changed and that would build a a stronger bond and more certainty with us than had you just been so uh i guess innocent and without knowing what the alternative was going to be because if you just look around this world and you see all the struggles and all the suffering that's gone on without god it seems like you know now that there's no question we've seen it now we know and so I, I feel like now, and after lots of you know prayer, meditation, and thought, that that might be why. Yeah. Um, there's nothing. Uh, there's nothing, Richard, that that I could say is really wrong about what you said, but but I would ask you to consider this. Um, you know, in the Great Tribulation, or after the Great Tribulation, after the thousand-year reign of Christ on Earth, in a perfect environment, uh, every one of those people who enter the the, the, the millennium. Uh, every one of those people will have known pain and suffering, whether they're tribulation survivors or those of us who who are are with the Lord um, in our in our our resurrected bodies, uh, or the billions multiplied billions of people that are going to be born um, during that thousand year reign of Christ on Earth after having experienced perfect justice perfect holiness after having the the most benevolent loving dictator ever um, multitudes so numerous that they're like the grains of sand on the seashore uh, when Satan is let loose at the end of the thousand years for a short time are going to choose to rebel against God and I think Richard there's just something inherent in our flesh that wants to rebel Uh, Satan fell uh, sometime in eternity past, he, he, he wasn't content to be God's most beautiful and brightest creation. 
Uh, he wanted to be God. I will cast my throne above the Most High. Uh, he wanted to be worshipped. Uh, and, and that's what he brought into the garden. Satan brought that pride, that rebellious pride into the garden. It worked then. It's going to work at the end of time. So even though the people during the millennium are going to have that same frame of reference of, of how much God has done for us and how bad things were, but how wonderful they are now, those people are still going to fall. And once again, there's going to be a tree of choice. That won't be the same tree, of course, but, but everybody's going to be given one last chance in the millennium to make a choice. Do you follow Jesus? Do you serve Jesus? Or are you going to be tempted to to rebel against God's rule? And uh, I think God's statement in the end uh, probably validates um, my perspective on the Garden of Eden. The problem from the beginning has always been us. It's not environment. It's not uh, bad breaks. The problem has always, always, always been us. We're humans, and we want self-control. That was the choice that Adam and Eve were being asked to make. Richard, thank you. I appreciate your thoughts, and I really appreciate you meditating on the Word of God. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. It's the Tuesday edition, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We will be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program if you were listening to some of the commercials on uh, during our break uh, you may have heard that uh, pastor raul reese is going to be here at calvary chapel of san antonio on october 5th uh, Raul is a dear friend, um, and uh, he will be here for sort of a radio rally to meet some of his KSLR listening uh, audience. Uh, it will be on Thursday night, October the 5th at 7 o'clock. The only thing we can tell you is if you want to come get here early, uh, Raul is a blast and uh, uh, one of the great servant's hearts I've ever known or met. We always tease Raul, we who are his friends, it's amazing that God could use a pastor who doesn't even speak English. <laughs> and he just laughs. He goes, yeah, but he's using me. His heart is absolute gold. His heart is absolute gold. So that's Thursday, October the 5th here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio uh, at 7 o'clock. 340-9585 here is a question from Kathy. Just came to our for email inbox during the break. Uh, hi, Pastor Ron. Could you please give some clarification to the claims that the rapture will happen on September 23rd? Some pastors on the Internet are teaching that because it will be the Feast of Trumpets and the shofar will be blown, that on the last trump, the Lord will return and are stating this because of all the weather conditions and blood moons, eclipses and earthquake. This is being tied in with verses in First Thessalonians. Kathy. Uh, before I, I talk about that just briefly, I, I, I want to beg people, don't listen to any nonsense. These men and women are false teachers, whether they're in a pulpit, in a church, or on the Internet. They are false teachers, and we have been hearing things in buying books. Now, I haven't been buying them, but many of you have, about blood moons and all the signs. And we've had two separate dates that were set for the rapture pass already this summer and now because it did they those didn't happen well they just kind of repackage and spin the whole thing so jesus will not be coming back on september 23rd he says i will come at a time when you do not expect me to come so even if september 23rd was a reasonable time that blew it but no the rapture will not happen on september 23rd um Remember, the Feast of Trumpets is a Jewish celebration that has been fulfilled in total by Jesus. Um, there's not going to be a shofar blown. Um, the last trump is, is um, um, in, the, in, the, in the twinkling of an eye, in an instant, 
at the last trumpet. It has nothing to do with a real trumpet. It's, it's a figurative representation of readiness. Every Jew would have understood that. Um, and so the Lord's not going to come. And it has nothing to do with blood moons. Blood moons will occur in the sky after the rapture of the church, not before. You need only to read the, the, the context of, of uh, Joel's prophecy. Um, Peter said um, that the gift of tongues fulfilled part of Joel's prophecy, but not all of it, because most of Joel's prophecy deals with what we call the Great Tribulation, and we're not going to be here. The eclipse, when that was to happen, and there was so many questions on this program, Kathy, about the eclipse. Is Jesus going to come with a solar eclipse? The answer was no. Um, and, and, you know, we, we end up supporting these phony ministries with our dollars, and we, we waste our valuable Jesus time listening to this nonsense. No one knows the hour or the day, period. And so we can instantly identify anybody who claims to know the hour or the day as a false teacher, and we're commanded to stay away from false teachers. You know, there's been eclipses throughout history. There's been earthquakes. I've been in some big ones. I'm from Southern California. I've been in three earthquakes that were 7.0 or greater in magnitude. And I'm still here. So please, please, please avoid these, um, I call them, I'm going to scare you to death ministries. Uh, because all they're trying to do is market um, the church, you know what, it's amazing, Kathy. These people never, ever come back and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. They just start refiguring and repackaging. And, and what they do is they prey on the gullibility of good-hearted, well-meaning Christians who don't know their Bibles. Jesus said, no one knows the hour or day. What makes you think that a guy on the Internet would know? So... Save your time. Save your time. Not just for you, Kathy, but for everybody. Let me make a really practical suggestion. The time that you spend on Facebook, the time that you spend on the Internet, dealing with this kind of nonsense, instead, open your Bible and spend that amount of time in the book of Romans or in the book of 1 Corinthians or in the book of 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians or in the book of Daniel where the prophecies are declared. Please don't be alarmed, and please stop paying attention. Here is a question that no one knows is Matthew twenty four twenty six. by the way. Here is a question from Wes. Uh, Pastor, do you know anything about a revival in America in the early 20th century called Azusa Street? I've never heard of it, but a church I visited... Uh, one time couldn't stop talking about it. Was it a genuine revival? Uh, Wes, it's interesting. Um, um, I do know. Uh, I, I made a, a point um, when I was trying to figure things out. You know, I, I knew the Bible was God's word. I kind of settled that issue in my heart. And I'm a young Christian, and I'm trying to make sense of all the differences in churches. And we were going to some pretty crazy churches. By the way, Paul and I were going to a lot of different churches at the time because we couldn't get enough. Um and we were, we were exposed to all this doctrine, and, and one of the experiences that really threw me off, Wes, was we'd go to some churches where nobody ever spoke in tongues. We got other churches where people were speaking in tongues all the time, the whole church. And I thought, well, why are there so many differences? I mean, why does one church say this is good and another church says it's not? So I wanted to find out. So I made it my mission for a time to find out about the gift of tongues. And in studying the gift of tongues and its genesis in the United States of America, it points back to Azusa Street, 1904-1905, Azusa Street in Los Angeles. Uh, There's an old black preacher named William Seymour uh, and uh, another preacher who was um, a part-time journalist uh, named Charles Parham. And uh, there was a uh, what was advertised as a move of God. Now, we would look at it today and say that it was a false move of God. Now, remember, God uses everything, and he meets people where they need to be met. So clearly, at uh, Azusa Street, there were people that were saved. Um, certainly, Los Angeles didn't get changed as a result of, of the revival. So I wouldn't call it a revival 
uh, I would just call it, uh, um, um, though done maybe incorrectly, there were people whose hearts were hungry for God. They were, where they were looking for more of God in, in terms of an experience. Because the emphasis was on experience uh, at Azusa Street rather than in the Word of God, um, they were easily led astray, and that is what led to the Azusa Street so-called revival uh, being a, a very short-term thing. Uh, emotion always wears away. So uh, I do know it. there's a lot of good books on it. All you have to do, probably by now, some of them are free uh, online. But if you would Google William Seymour or Azusa Street Revival, uh, there's some really good uh, uh, information out there that will tell you some of the things that were happening. But most of it was just a manifestation of tongues. And uh, the newspapers ate it up uh, in the early 20th century because they'd never seen anything like that before uh, in the United States. And so it gained some traction for a while. It's sort of kind of like um, the Toronto Blessing. They called it a revival, but it was neither a revival nor a blessing. Um, uh, the Pensacola outpouring of the Brownsville revival, uh, they were called. Um, again, they were neither blessings nor revivals, but it was just a bunch of people getting together, seeking God, and God would meet some of them, but, but none of the revivals had legs. Uh, real revivals in history, and it's a great study, by the way. You can go look at the, 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 the phenomena of, of true revivals throughout history. Uh, the Welch revival, um, um, just they're, they're wonderful to see because what God did, uh, the Wesley revivals, um, George Whitfield and others, um, they, they changed entire cities for a long, long time. They had legs, they lasted, the impact lasted. So, Wes, that's what I know about it, and uh, I sort of dug into it a long, long time ago uh, just because I wanted to know about this gift of tongues. Hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585. Here's a question. When it came in, I laughed. It's anonymous. It said, uh, <clears throat> Pastor Ron, do you have critics? And if so, how do you deal with them? I Googled you and couldn't find any public criticism. Uh, anonymous, I have plenty of critics, to be sure. You know, whenever you're proclaiming God's Word, uh, especially when you do it as directly as I do, there are going to be critics. But I don't deal with them at all. I, I try not to respond to them. Uh, I have one guy who's a listener to this radio program who who has this incessant habit of sending me Catholic material. Uh, he thinks he's going to save me. Um by the way, if you're listening again today, that's I, I throw those away. Um, I don't want anything that's going to to, to confuse uh, the truth as revealed in the Word of God. But but yeah, I've got critics, and you'll always have critics when you're standing up for Jesus. Um, um, some of the critics are are uh, unbelievers. Some of the critics are are people who think I'm a bigot uh, because of my positions on homosexuality. Um, transge transgender issues, things like that. Um, but you know what? You just don't deal with them. You just don't deal with them. I tell my church all the time, the best way to deal with a critic or somebody who says bad things about you is to thank the Lord that they don't know the real bad stuff about you. So I don't respond to anything that I'm not guilty of. Um, and I just sort of pray for those people and leave it in God's hands. Most of the time it all comes to nothing, but uh, if you're a public person um, at all, you're always going to have critics. And just like you, go share Jesus in your family, and there are going to be critics in your family too. So Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. Just don't deal with critics. There's too much to do for the Lord and not enough time to do it. And if you spend your time sort of swimming around in the, the shallow end of the pool with your critics, uh, then you're never really going to get to the deep end with the people who really, really want to find out about Jesus. 340-9585. Here is a question from Chris. He says, Romans 11.26 says that all Israel will be saved. Who exactly is all Israel? And does it mean that all Jews are going to be saved? Um... Chris, in three weeks, I think three weeks from this past Sunday, we're going to be heading into uh, Romans 9 and Romans 9, 10, and 11. 
sort of a parenthetical insert uh, that Paul uses uh, using Israel as uh, as an example of God's faithfulness uh, of the the case that, that Paul made in the first eight chapters of Romans for the goodness, the faithfulness of God. And so when it says in Romans eleven twenty six, all Israel will be saved, he's not speaking individually, but he's speaking nationally. Israel, the word means governed by God. And so the, the, the play on the words there is important because what he's saying is that, that in those last days, all true Israel is going to be saved. In Romans chapter 9, he says not all Israel really is Israel. In other words, not all of the nation of Israel are governed by God is what he's saying. So what we have to understand from is that this is a national call. Uh, and all true Israel will be saved. In the, the prophecy of Zechariah, Chris, um, when Jesus returns during the Great Tribulation and the Jewish people look upon him and say, uh, where did you get wounds? I got these wounds in the house of my friends. And they'll be mourning and weeping as never before. They'll realize the gravity of their sin. Imagine Acts chapter 2 when Peter spoke and the Holy Spirit convicted them that Peter was right. They killed God. Brothers, what can we do? Well, imagine that multiplied thousands of times over with Jews in Israel. They're going to know what they've done. And they're going to repent. And they're going to be saved. National Israel is going to be saved. Now the individuals, Zechariah tells us, two-thirds of those individual Jews will be lost because of unbelief. They refuse to believe. One-third of them. That's the all-Israel. The true Israel. One-third of them will recognize what they've done. They will repent of their sin. And they will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Now remember, there's going to be a lot of help in the Great Tribulation. 144,000 Jewish witnesses sealed by God endued with supernatural power. But it means that the real Israelite, governed by God, then they'll be saved and they'll go into the millennium with us. So Chris, I hope that answers your question. Here's a question from Randy. He wants to know, was Sunday worship a replacement for the Jewish Sabbath? Um, Randy, the answer to that is no. Um, The Jewish Sabbath was given to Jews under a completely different covenant. I say this so often on this program, I hope it doesn't start to lose its effect, but Jesus at the Last Supper, what we call the Last Supper, picked up the the, the cup and he said, this is the cup of the New Covenant. So there's no Old Covenant for us to fulfill because Jesus fulfilled it. And I think when I get the questions like, well, when did we change Saturday to Sunday? Uh, There's no obligation to do anything. That's why Paul says that as believers, we should esteem all days the same. No difference. We can worship on a Monday. We can worship on a Saturday. We can worship on a, on a Sunday. In fact, we ought to put uh, worshiping God as a priority in our lives every day. So not just one day belongs to God. Every day belongs to God. It wasn't a replacement. The old covenant had been fulfilled. Hebrews 4 talks about Jesus is our Sabbath rest. So what we do, Randy, is we follow the pattern of the first century church. And when you read through the book of Acts and when you read through Paul's epistles, it's the first day of the week. And it was the first day of the week because they were recognizing and rejoicing in the fact that it was on the first day of the week that Jesus was raised from the dead. When there was no hope, suddenly there was because he was alive. And that's why they began to meet corporately together on Sunday, the first day of the week. One other thing, if you look in the Bible closely, especially in the book of Acts, you'll see that every day they met together at the temple courts or in the synagogues. And at night they met together in people's homes and shared food and fellowship. Christians had to depend on one another then. There was no Christian then saying, do I have to go to church again? They couldn't wait to get to the the assembling together of the saints. So, no, Sunday worship was not a replacement at all. It was a whole new thing. A whole new thing. And boy, did the world need a new thing. Thank you for that, Jesus.
Uh, Eve wants to know, does a Christian still have an old nature? Um, you know, the, the term old nature, Eve, is not really found in Scripture. Uh, we still have sin living in us. So it's not like, um, you know, we've got two natures in us duking it out. Um, what we've got is sin in us. Paul talks about sin living in him like it's some alien force in Romans 5 and 6. Um, what I want to do, I can't do. In verse seven, chapter 7, I, I find myself doing the things I don't want to do and the things I want to do, I can't do. Uh, that's the battle with sin. We could call it flesh or a carnal nature, and that's going to be with us until we're with Jesus. But remember, too, Eve, we have the power that raised Christ from the dead living in us, and so we're no longer to be controlled by this, by the flesh or by what you've described as an old nature. So the real Christian, Paul says, I find this law at work. After this whole struggle from Romans 5, 6, and 7, I find this law at work. When I sin, it's not me who sins, but sin living in me. And that's the battle. That's the battle that we have. And if we would remember that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation, then that would remind us instantly that we don't have to give in to the temptations of the flesh. We don't have to give in to that lust. We don't have to be burdened again by sin. We can beat it. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can stand up under the temptation. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. So, Eve, the way you combat your old nature is to say, nope, that's a sin. I don't want to do it. I'd rather be with Jesus. Will the struggle continue? Yes. But remember, we're not sinners anymore. We're saints who sin. And the fact that we're saints, perfected by the blood of Jesus Christ, demonstrates that we belong to him. And the old you died. Eve, if you were baptized, if you were baptized, you even gave that old nature a funeral. That's what baptism is. It's a funeral of the old you and then the resurrection into new life of the new you when you come up out of the water. So I hope that answers your question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're under five minutes, so oh we got a we got a caller winning. Uh Tanya, hi Tanya from San Leandro, California. Hi. I missed you. <laughs> I missed you too. I, I sent Good. an email, and, and this, my question is kind of two parts. Uh, one is, I would like to know what your specific prayer requests are, because um, I, I put in prayer requests for you, Pastor. Um, because even though I don't live in Texas, I, I carry you and Miss Paula in my heart everywhere I go, and so I know there was some health um, concerns. So I've been praying for that. If you could just give me, if you choose to, sir, uh, update on on a specific health request or, or whatever it is you're needing. And secondly, I was speaking to someone the other day, and she asked me a question that I, I didn't have uh, any answer to. And it, she says, can you tell me about numbers in the Bible? She, not, not the book. Uh, she said, you know, like the number three, like why did it take, you know, three days? And, and, and what, what's the significance of the number seven? And, and from her standpoint, it, it seemed more like a kind of like a hocus-pocus, lucky kind of thing, and, and, and I really wanted to be able to convey back to her uh, the significance of of the actual numbers itself, you know, seven being perfection or complete, completion, yeah. and if you could help me with that, and I'll take the answer off the air, sir. Thank you, Tanya. God bless you, and I'll, I'll have to do it quick, because now we're about three minutes. Um, I, I, and, and I think for the audience, you know how um, wonderful it is for somebody like me to hear that people want to pray for me, and, and Tanya carries this in her heart. Tanya hasn't been here at Calvary Chapel for a very, very long time, and we miss her so much, but um, you see, that's what happens when that bond that cre is created by Jesus. Uh, Tanya, for your friend, um, she's going to have to sort of go back to the Old Testament, Genesis, um, um, 
number seven is the number of completion because that was the day when it was all finished and that pattern follows through. The number five is the number of grace. You see these things. Uh, three is the number of resurrection. We know those things because these are patterns that are established throughout the Bible. This isn't stuff that people just make up. Now, sometimes people go to extremes and they, they, they will put... Um, meanings on on numbers that have no meaning. So it's not numerology to be sure. Um, But what's really important for us to understand is that God gives us these patterns. Eight, the number of new beginnings. We know that simply because uh, we're we're told Jesus... um, the, the death that are, I'm sorry the, the circumcision was done on the eighth day um, the eighth day uh, after seven is a new beginning a new week so we have these patterns it's really really important um, and since we only we're, we're just a little over a minute now um, I, I'll probably come back and answer that at the beginning of tomorrow's program a little more completely Tanya if you and your friend both want to listen um, my prayer requests are simple um um, I, I want to be strong enough and healthy enough to finish well. Um, I, I, I want nothing more than to finish better than I started, and Paul is helping me do that, and, and I know people are praying for that for me. Uh, my health seems to be doing pretty good. I actually go to the doctor uh, next Monday. Hopefully I'll get cleared uh, to do all the exercise and stuff I want to do. I want to be a good steward of my health. Um, um, so I would appreciate prayers for that. Uh, at Calvary Chapel here, uh, we're having some fire marshal issues. We've we've uh, we've gotten too big uh, for our city's comfort, and so code compliance and fire marshals are coming in and and uh, giving some. Di- so what we need is is money. We need a big space. Um, so uh, we we just appreciate prayers for all of that. So thank you for asking. I appreciate knowing that you're praying for us more than you know. And I'll try to remember to come back and answer that first question a little bit more. Alan, we couldn't get to you because we just didn't have time. I pray for you to call back. Uh, You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back here on AM 630, the Word, tomorrow at 4 o'clock to take your phone calls and answer your questions. God bless you. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.